Hey everybody, today's edition of Bleeding Claret and Cobalt features Utah Royals head coach Amy Rodriguez. Really appreciate Amy uh, taking the time to sit down to one of her brief uh, visits to Utah as she's building a staff, trying to figure out all the pieces that need to be put in place in the coming months ahead of the Utah Royals 2024 season. The return to royalty, if you will. Meg Van Dyke from the Utah Royals staff and Ryan Hale, the super producer, obviously involved in this episode with Amy uh, covering for me as I was unable to get to the location on a very crazy travel day for Real Salt Lake. But hope you enjoy it. Hopefully we'll hear from Amy many more times, not only this year, but throughout 2024 and beyond She's the best. She's the boss. Can't wait to have her back in Utah full time as we rebuild the Royals and look forward for NWSL's return to Utah. On the other side of this break, you'll hear everything and more State of the Royals from Amy Rodriguez, head coach. Hey guys, just a big shout out to our friend Adam Sessions and One Wire Fiber. We would not be able to bring you Bleeding Claret and Cobalt every week, every month without their great support. So you wouldn't want all your RSL news information coming from some distant out-of-state people that don't care about this community. So why would you rely on your voice, video, text for business coming from one of these big companies that literally don't care about you. If you don't own a business, but your friends do, your family does, you got to reach out to these guys because the level of customer service, of support, attention to detail from OneWire Fiber is immense. And we all know how fast the world is moving these days. If our phones, our computers, if our connectivity is not functioning properly, you just feel completely stuck in the water. And Adam and OneWire Fiber, they will figure it all out for you so you don't have to. The number one, W-I-R-E dot C-O, OneWire Fiber, they will take care of you. They care about this community. They care about this club, and they care about you. Well, thanks, Trey. As uh, Trey mentioned, we're here today at America First Field in the media room. Uh, my name is Meg Van Dyke, and I'm sitting here with head coach of the Utah Royals, Amy Rodriguez. Amy, I got to admit, uh, saying that is still a little strange. <laughs> it feels strange. Yeah. Uh, it's not a title that I, I'm used to, but um, gladly taking the responsibility for it. Now, I don't know if you're going to remember this, but almost three years ago was on October 3rd was our last home game. It was during the fall series. We had played Portland. It was a 1-1 draw. And you sat in this room after that game, post-game. And I remember walking up the tunnel, and you were just – it was great that we had gotten a draw, but it, 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 in very typical Amy Rodriguez fashion, you were, oh, we should have won that one. And we get in the room. Of course, you're answering questions. And about three questions in, somebody stops and goes, kind of what's the mentality of this team, and, and how do we get it to carry into next year? And I think your answer was something along the lines of – we're really focused on getting better for 2021 and being the best that we can and being a strong leader and being and being ready to get into the season. Obviously, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, I think everyone knows kind of what followed. Now, three years later, my question is the same. 
What is, <laughs> what, is, what is your mentality? What are you looking to carry into next year? And, and how are you looking to build a team that's going to be successful? Okay. Well, first, let me start off by saying this is a totally different scenario than 2020. Um, but in, in theory, too, I am in the preparation for next season. As the head coach here, my mind is set on building a staff structure that's going to work, one that's um, collaborative, positive, enthusiastic. Um, I'm starting to roll out kind of my mission, vision, philosophy for this team. You know, what is our player DNA on the field and what kind of people and DNA do we want off the field? Um, and just figuring out how I want to jive everything together because you're right, next year, it, although it is a few months away, like we're starting to prepare now for it. Um, and, and it's a huge project. It's probably the biggest soccer project I've ever had in my whole life other than competing in an Olympics or in a World Cup. So to say that I'm motivated or um, excited, those would be understatements. Um, but in the same breath, I know that this is going to be the most difficult, probably daunting, um, huge task that I'm given. Let me ask the kind of elephant in the room question. Why did you say yes? <laughs> I love that I'm starting from scratch. Um, people might think that, you know, having zero players and having to roster a full 25 person roster seems intimidating and daunting. Yes, it is. Um, but no coach has an opportunity like I have right now. I said yes to this opportunity and to take on the the role of he as head coach of the Royals because I knew I could create something of my own. That is so uncommon. It is so rare to have this opportunity. Um, I know I have a blank canvas in front of me, so it's beautiful. I get to create it exactly how I want. And what other coach would want, wouldn't want that kind of opportunity? Yeah, and obviously you have quite a bit of history as a player, having played in uh, the prior league and then quite extensively in the NBSL. Are there things that you learned as a player that you will approach completely differently as a coach, having known what that player goes through? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, I think one of my greatest values right now is that I was recently a, a, a former pro player. Um, I've walked in the shoes of, of my players, and so I do feel like there's a there's a good deal of understanding um, relatability that I'll have with my players. I've had coaches that I've, I've loved. I've had coaches that I didn't think got the best out of me and I didn't perform my best for them. So just taking little tidbits from my experiences within the NWSL, the national team, um, previous leagues, just all of that encompasses kind of how I'm going to approach this role next year. And I guess kind of on the flip side, are there things that you're hoping to create separation as Amy Rodriguez, the player, and Amy Rodriguez, the coach? That Because it is it is pretty soon um, since you've hung up your boots. Like how there are players that you've probably played with that you may either coach or interact with um, on the opposite side of the field. How are you creating that separation? Yeah, I think some people might look at that and say that that sounds weird. It feels weird. Um, but for me, it doesn't. I think because I've been removed now three or so seasons um, and I've taken on this this coaching role, I I want to clearly state that like I I am not your friend here. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. that, that might sound, you know, a bit harsh, but it's the truth. Um, you know, previous friendships or teammates or opponents that I've played against, you know, those those things are put kind of in my NWSL player bucket where now I'm focused on the coaching bucket. And this is this is who I am in this role. Um, and I plan to lead this team from that standing. 
if I've know anything about you, it's that you take everything that you do with so much gumption. That it's, <laughs> what does that mean? I, 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 like you're never going to do anything half-ass. No, I'm very serious. Very intense. I it's, agree. Yeah. It's like if we're going to do it, we're going to do it right and Correct. we're going to do it well. And we're going to do it right the first time. Yeah. And I think having seen you now take this role for a couple of months, that's very much the mentality that you're taking into this is everything is going to be serious and we're going to do it right and we're going to do it uh, better than, than anyone else has done it in the past. Totally. And I think it's really important for me. Uh, a, a big part of my personality is professionalism and approaching every day, every training, every pregame, every every moment in interaction with my team um, comes with the, the utmost professionalism, um, organization, and preparation. So right now you have zero players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> um, and I think that we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but if you're looking at recruiting, it's it's a bit of a three-pronged system, maybe four if you consider the youth game. But you're looking at acquiring players through college, through the current NWSL, and through the international game. Let's start let's start with college because I think that that's something that you're probably the most close to right now having just been an assistant at one of the top universities in the NCAA. What did you see as a coach at USC that's going to help you from a recruiting standpoint into getting players here for the Utah Royals? Yes, having just been in the college game and seeing that pool of players, I think it gives me a huge advantage into this upcoming draft class the future upcoming years of potential college players that might join the NWSL. Um, I also spent quite a bit of time in that U18 age group, which now the NWSL allows for two under 18 aged players to join rosters. Um, so I feel like I have a really good idea um, of the landscape and the and the player pool. Um, that'll be a huge benefit for, for the Royals here and, and to hopefully bring in some of those high talented players. Yeah, I think we were talking about it last night that it's close to 87% of the current NWSL has either formerly played in the NCAA or will mm-hmm. come from the NCAA. So whether you're looking at it as right now I have the first overall draft pick and then three others after that, but I'm going to have four again next year and the year after that, is this the most sustainable recruiting place is like is it you know as you look for this year and as we're going further down the road is ncaa going to be the place that while it might might not be the biggest focus right now it's going to have to be yeah like you mentioned the the biggest um avenue that we acquire players through is probably the current ncaa college system um there are many talented players that come out of the the college system and it's about picking the right ones that have the professional mindset. I think that's something that I got to take a, a closer glimpse at through USC is, is really getting to know the players in training and seeing what kind of professional training mentality, what type of you know responsible teammate the, these, these players are. Um, and I think that's going to help me in making decisions in, on draft day. Uh, so we've been kind of watching some of the local games here at University of Utah and at BYU, um, one of the top programs in the country. When you're watching and recruiting a player, what are you looking for? Because obviously all of these games, you're going to have one-offs where players aren't great or you're going to have one-offs where they're significantly better than they probably are year-round. Um, when you're sitting in the stands at a game watching, what are you looking for? 
The difference between the college game and the pro level is speed of play and speed of decision making. I think when I evaluate a player, um, I, I first of all, I obviously look at her quality of touches, her um, accurate, accuracy in passing percentage or conversion rate. Um, but there's also a, a total, a secondary level of valuation of a player. Like you, you I want to evaluate how they communicate with their teammates. What type of leadership are they offering out on the field? Is their, is their body language positive? Um, these are things that you can't usually pick up on in, in one to two games. I personally like recruiting players over a span of seven to 10 games, really get a good glimpse of them. Um, additionally, you know, coming out to training sessions where I get to see more of that personality and, and work ethic, their training habits, like those are things that I, I really dive deep. I, I thoroughly enjoy the recruitment process. Um, and I want to get my, my draftees right. I want to make sure that I'm bringing in the right players. Like I mentioned, the, the right player DNA, both on and off the field. Those are extremely important to me. Would you say that it's that second part of the recruiting that really distinguishes whether a player is successful at the pro level? A player who approaches training and how they carry themselves off the field does contribute greatly to, to their longevity in the professional world. I've seen players who, with unlimited talent, don't make it long enough in the pro leagues because they didn't carry themselves with that professionalism that is required. And so, yeah, it, it's a really important element of, of recruiting. And then I guess that second group is probably current NWSL players. Um, having been an NWSL player yourself, you have a pretty good idea of, of what the current state of the NWSL is right now. Um, I don't want to ask about any specific players and, and, mm -hmm. and show your hand too much, but having watched a lot of the games in, in recent months, and is there any team that you're watching and thinking, they've got something special? Maybe it's not translating into results as, as often as um, they might like, but they're building something that's quite interesting to you. I realize I have a huge advantage as a coach this year and not having to coach in the league. I'm merely just scouting and recruiting and taking notes. Every week when I watch the NWSL games, I'm picking out players who I could see um, – that I would want on my roster with the Royals, or I could see players that might not be a great fit. And so the advantage I have of, of taking all these notes now and evaluating players, hopefully is gonna help me select players at the end of this year when we have our expansion draft. Um, you mentioned watching other teams. I look at you know Angel City and San Diego Wave, who are the two most recent expansion teams. And I've taken notes, I've evaluated on, on what their strategies were, um, how they've come up with their rosters and how they've put their team out on the field. And I think it's really important to, you know, take notes and, and try to follow some some footsteps that I think is, is currently working. So when you're thinking about building a team and when you're looking at NWSL players, you're obviously looking at not just, you know, all veterans, all young players. You're really having to diversify so that you're successful both now, but also in the future, is leadership qualities and looking at somebody who has previous NWSL experience and might be able to really kind of help you lead this charge, something that you're looking for? Yes. I think my first group of signings, maybe six or seven players, those players and the qualities that they bring are going to be so influential for this roster. Um, 
That's why it is of the utmost importance for me to pick the right people with that team first mentality that are going to provide the leadership that I want, both in the locker room, out on the field. Um, I can't speak, you know, highly enough about how important the job is of myself and our GM, Kelly Chambers Cousins, um, our talent ID. We are working very hard and making sure that we secure players um, that bring in that that quality that's that reaches more than just the the talent on the field. It's it's deeper than that. And like I said, they're going to be kind of the foundation of who this team is. How do you go about identifying that? Obviously, it's pretty easy to see what they do on the field, but how are you finding and figuring out kind of those intangibles that, that you need from those first few players? Well, like I said, I, I've been in the game a long time and I've been able to play with and against um, and be in the same circles with with some of these players. And I think that's a huge advantage where I know what qualities I want that person to bring to this field and this team. Um, and so I'm gonna set out to put them on this roster. Awesome. And then I think probably that third arm of, of what we're recruiting right now is on the international level. Previous Royals had several pretty big names from the international perspective, and I think fans are hoping that that will be the case again. Um, kind of give me an update on where you're at right now in terms of recruiting and scouting international players. Yeah, so the third arm, as you mentioned, is is international recruiting, and each NWSL team is allowed five up to five international slots. So our goal is to combine and have kind of a hybrid model of both domestic and international players. We've identified several international players that we're going to try to get here. Um, it's not as easy as it looks, I will admit. Um, but with, you know, a lot of meetings and a lot of evaluations, like I mentioned, we've been able to identify a lot of players that we think that would fit really well here at the Royals. Is it difficult that the NWSL is on a different schedule than internationals? So ideally, you would want to sign players right now. Right. But we have nowhere to put them. They can't play. So you're kind of in this waiting game of saying, we right. want you, but we won't have anything for you for a few months. Right. What is what is that difficulty? Yeah, because the league structure and calendars don't line up you know, exactly, there are some European leagues that are currently in season right now our window of play starts in January. So we're gonna look for potentially mid-season transfers. We're gonna look for some some players who are open to trades. Um, but it is it, it that is a difficult piece of of not having the calendars lined up exactly perfectly. Um, but we are just gonna strategize on our side to to make sure that we can still get some good international play in here. Now this year was a bit unique. Obviously the World Cup happened. Um, massive major tournament, really great for the women's game internationally. But when recruiting, how much weight do you put into the World Cup? Because it is just a tournament. A player can have a significant improvement in, say, five, six, seven, eight games, but then maybe have struggled at their club the, the, the past year, right? So how much value do you give their performance at that tournament versus who they are overall as a player? I actually loved that we are recruiting during a World Cup year. I got to see so many um, quality international players. And, and because, you know, so many teams did well this year, right? You've had 
the success of Spain and Japan, Netherlands, England. I mean, the list goes on. We had a lot of, of faces and a lot of player names, you know, come come to us with it, where in the normal year we may not get that visibility. But additionally, like in your question, you know, how much weight do I put on the World Cup? Well, clearly it's the biggest, most grand stage that you could play on. And so those players who handled pressure well and showed up in those big moments, that's the kind of champion, that's the kind of player that I want here. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to ask names, but is there anyone that maybe you either were aware of or weren't aware of? <laughs> that's a that's a name question. Uh, I, <laughs> it is a name <laughs> question, but uh, maybe maybe it's just a yes or no that you watched them at the World Cup and all of a sudden your perception of what they might be able to be was different. Yes. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Uh, breaking news. Yes. <laughs> you played with international players, both here and, and everywhere else. Utah is, is oftentimes a bit of an unknown commodity. I personally am not from here, from Utah. I didn't know anything about it before I moved here. I know you're not obviously from here. And you had, a, I'm sure, a very different perception of the state of Utah before you lived here. How do you overcome that when recruiting, especially international players who might not have never ever heard of Utah? Right. We're not, we're not LA and we're not New York City. And I think sometimes maybe Salt Lake City, Utah gets overlooked. But I will say this, there is something so special about playing for a smaller market team, the community, the people, the just the vibe here is just so loving and connected where I've played in those big cities where you kind of get lost a bit. Um, it wasn't until I think I played here for Salt Lake City that I just really felt like the the community rallied around me and I wanted to play for them. I wanted to perform for them. Um, and I had a great experience. Is there a difference as a player in playing in a, in a, in a city where quite honestly, maybe you're known, but chances are you can go to Publix and no one, excuse me, my Floridian came out. Publix is the, <laughs> is the store in Florida, but you can go to the grocery store and no one knows who you are. Whereas here, if you go to the grocery store, chances are somebody's going to stop you. Is, is, is that? <laughs> okay. The truth is, well, without sounding horrendously egotistical. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it, that's what's so great about this market. People know who we are. They come out to games. They support us. They love us. Um, and I think that's what adds the connection to the community. And and a big part of the Royals is is giving back to the community, community. being involved, um, doing, you know, community outreach events, um, just, just tapping in. I think that that's really what created my love for Salt Lake City here. I, I will say this. I don't ever want to beg or buy a player to be here. That's just not me. And if a player wants to be here and wants to be a part of what we're creating here, amazing. That's what I want. Um, you know, all the other things that come with playing professional soccer, any benefit on and off, like off the field, like that's, that's up to the player themselves. But truthfully, I'm trying to win championships here and I'm trying to build champions. I'm trying to create players who can go on and be successful and develop in their career. I want players to walk out of here saying, I got better and Amy allowed me to play fearlessly like myself and she made me a better player. So if that's what the player's after and they come here and they do that, great. It's a win-win for everybody. Wow. 
That was great. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hope it happens. Now, on top of building an entire team from scratch, Mm -hmm. you have to build an entire staff Mm -hmm. from scratch. Mm -hmm. How overwhelming is that? (laughs) The whole project is daunting. But like I said, no other coach in the world gets this opportunity. This is so unique. Um, I know it's going to be a longitudinal process that takes time. We're probably not going to get every decision right. But something about me is that I do not give up on anything. I will work my tail off to make sure that all the right pieces are in the right place. And I'm humble enough to admit when I'm wrong or when I get something wrong and I need to fix it. So for me, you know, painting this blank canvas and, and creating it into a championship level organization, um, it's going to take time. But I, like I said, I'm going to roll my sleeves up and I can't wait. Now, one of the many changes and perhaps the most significant from the previous iteration to this iteration is new ownership. And there's a lot of changes that have come with that. And maybe we can talk about one being the improvement of facilities. And this is a bit of a spoiler alert. Don't want to get too into it. But can you talk about how um, ownership is committed to improving facilities and creating equity and equality for these women players is the same as Real Salt Lake and the men? The Royals 2.0, that's what I've been nicknaming them, <laughs> um, will have an amazing training facility unlike anything else that we've had here. The new ownership coming in, the commitment to our women's program, um, just their belief and empowerment of the Royals, players and staff alike, Um it's amazing. And what the players will experience here um, is a result of ownership that believes in us uh, and wants to do better for this league. What is having a really top-notch training environment and training facility, what is the benefit of that as a player? We're going to have a world-class training facility, which is going to promote and provide players training at a world-class level. When you are in that environment daily and when you are able to have resources um, and just the ability to be in an environment like that, you're already increasing your level as a player. I cannot wait to see, you know, in years down the line, what kind of development process we can have for our players here. Um, I think they're going to love it. I think they're going to be treated like professionals, which is – only getting better year by year in the NWSL. Um, and it's what the players deserve. It's gonna be it's gonna be top notch, like you said, world class. And from that we'll develop world class players. When can fans expect to see staff? When can fans expect to see players? So right now we're at the end of August and the biggest piece that I'm working on is our team DNA. What is our mission? What's the team vision? What's our philosophy? And I'm working very closely with Royals President Michelle Heinzik, our sporting director, Kelly Chambers. Um, Who we are and who we we want our identity is of the utmost importance right now. Because from that alignment and that collaboration of ideals and principles, will we then create, will we then hire a staff, build out an entire staffing structure, will then be able to clearly identify what players and what type of people we want in this organization. And then I think you'll start seeing the dominoes fall. But when starting up an organization, and like you said before, starting it from scratch, it takes time. 
And the biggest part for me is just having that alignment from the beginning um, and a place from where we make all of our decisions. Probably what fans are, are most looking forward to is is the first date that we can, you're going to see a large influx of players is during that expansion draft, right? Right. I think signing players comes more in that November, December, January timeline. I don't want to ask you like what, if you could sign any player in the world right now, who would it be? Right. But I, I was kind of thinking if I could think it, if it maybe transfer it to the men's game, like if there's any coach you could work with, who would you work, like that you could learn from, who would you want to learn from on the men's side? This year I have been so fortunate to shadow Pablo with RSL. I think he has opened my mind to a different philosophy in coaching. Um, where he is such a great manager and his his communication skills are top with his players. Um, I'm able to take pages out of his book so that I can apply it to my coaching philosophy too. Um, if I could learn from any coach, I think it'd be really fascinating to um, shadow the staff over at St. Louis in the MLS mm -hmm. only because they recently went through an expansion like ourselves. Um, Atlanta United as well. I wouldn't mind tapping into Inner Miami to <laughs> be able to watch Messi on the daily. <laughs> right, I think That'd everyone be, would. <laughs> <laughs> be so cool. Um, no, there's so many great coaches out there that I want to learn from. And right now I'm kind of like drinking through a fire hose where I'm just trying to learn as much as I can. I'm currently involved doing my A license through U.S. Soccer. Um, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm really in that like studying phase where I'm just trying to take everything in. I think that that's a bit of an understatement. Anytime you're here in Utah, you are either at RSL training, Monarchs training, watching a Monarchs game. To, I think later today you're going to watch some academy training. Mm -hmm. Are you just taking in at any opportunity that you can? And, and how incredible is it to be at an organization that does have those resources for you to learn from? Totally. And additionally, I mean, if, if we think about the ownership here with the Royals, we have a whole ecosystem of football teams, right? There's seven in Europe. Um, I think part of the reason why I wanted to take this the job this year is that the ownership was really involved in my development as a coach. They wanted to empower me and, and help me develop um, as a head coach and, and having the opportunity to visit teams like Crystal Palace or in the EPL or um, Bronby in in Denmark like those those are things that are are shadowing opportunities that most coaches don't get and the fact that I can tap into that and learn from and grow um, just shows the investment in in the ownership's develop uh, in the ownership's um, interest in developing me as a as a coach I think one of the most interesting things about our club as a whole is that all four head coaches so yourself RSL head coach Pablo Mascherini, Real Monarchs head coach Hamasin Olave, and then our academy head coach Jordan Allen. You're all pro former professionals. Mm. You have all played at the highest level in this country and are now coaching in this. And I think that it it's such an interesting perspective to have all of you who have played this game and are coaching the next generation, but a club who's saying, yeah, we want to invest in former players and we believe that, that this is the path. Yeah, I love that. I, I feel so grateful. I mean, so many of us grew up playing for coaches that weren't former players. And the fact that we're now getting that experience and I'm able to 
not only, you know, impact people's lives on the field, now I'm able to impact hopefully the next generation of, of future female soccer players. And I absolutely love it. I'm, I feel so grateful. Current st status of the NWSL, when you're looking at players that you're bringing in, are you thinking, how are they going to stop X, Y, and Z player? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yeah, I, I realize I, kn I know the competition in the NWSL. I know what it takes to succeed here. I was able to win two NWSL championships. And so I know what it requires to get to that level. And so as I'm recruiting players, I have to think, well, is this player going to match up well against so-and-so on Portland or so-and-so on the wave? These are things that I have to consider um, to put together a really great squad that's going to bring championships here. And I think this league might be at its most competitive ever. Definitely. Yeah, the yes. point difference between number one and, and number 12 is, is not very many. Yeah, I think for the first time, there are so many teams kind of below the playoff line that are still involved. That right. You're talking one or two games, and all of a sudden, you're in it. Right. Can I ask, uh, do you have a favorite to win the league this year? Or is it just way too competitive to tell? There's not a favorite. Like I said, soccer is such a marginal game. It takes like one second, one goal, one minute to make all the difference. Um, and so it's an exciting league to be a part of, uh, but a very competitive one. So as I mentioned before, I'm rolling my sleeves up, getting ready, because um, this is going to be one of the most competitive leagues I play in and, and now coach in. You've played for, I believe, three teams that are still currently in the NWSL. Your hometown has a team. Yeah. So let me ask, who are you most excited to play against? Mm -hmm. It was funny, when I was a player, I was so looking forward to LA getting a team. And the year I retired, LA got a team. And it was like the one moment I could play it in front of my grandma and my parents and my kids at home. Um, I didn't get to do that. So I think for me, playing against LA would be phenomenal. Um, getting to, to coach my squad against HLFC, um, I think that'll be a really big moment. So the Rod Squad will be rolling deep first time Rose play Angel City. <laughs> Always. But I will say there's like a unspoken kind of competitiveness already with Bay Area because they are the other expansion team coming in. So truthfully, I, I see them as like a huge game for next year. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your time, Amy. Uh, as always, appreciate it. And... We will be anxiously awaiting news on your first hires and first signings. Cool. I can't wait. Thank you so much. All right. With that, that's our episode today. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. As always, please find us on social at Claret Cobalt on Twitter and Instagram. Anchor.fm slash Claret and Cobalt. Uh, hit the message function there. You can also email us. R-S-L-T-R-E-Y at gmail.com. And we really appreciate you listening, sharing, downloading, subscribing. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk soon. You're listening. Bleeding Claret and Cobalt brought to you by One Wire Fiber.